Well, I want to begin today with a public service announcement. Actually, it's more of a warning for you all. Our oldest son is approaching driving age. I'm loving it and I'm hating it. I'm loving it because one day my wife and I won't any longer have to be part-time taxi drivers. Parents, you know what that's like, right? But I'm hating, or rather I'm fearing, for the lives of every other car-going citizen who dares frequent the roads, including my son. And then there's the thought of the brand new or the increased monthly insurance premiums. Ouch. Well, this whole scenario has got me thinking back to when I was his age and stage, and I was reminded of my first vehicle, a 1986 brand new Nissan pickup truck, King Cab, with a box top on the back. It was a sweet ride. Actually, it was more of a utility truck, and it wasn't even mine, it was my dad's that he bought for his company, but he was nice enough to let me drive it to and from high school most days, so I kind of adopted it as my own. And you know, I really did fall in love with that truck. But the interesting thing is how quickly it lost its appeal. I started dreaming, daydreaming about what my next car was going to be. It was going to be smaller, it was going to be faster, better, sporty, all around more sleek, you know? But then things don't always turn out how you hope. So I went away to college and I had to give the truck back to my dad, he needed it for work. But they were nice enough to give me my sister's hand-me-down 1984 Ford Escort. And it was a beater. Anyway, you, you know how quickly things change? You think of the cars and the designs of the cars in the mid-80s and then how much better and you know, faster and sleeker they are today. Things change so quickly. I mean, think of car phones. You guys remember the original car phones? Those things were as big as a brick. And some of them were as heavy as a brick as well. And how quickly we moved, our world moved into the age of the cell phone. And it wasn't that long ago that Blackberry and Motorola Razor were all the rage. And now most kids don't even know what those are. Actually, our two youngest ones know because the last two years, we've made them use a Motorola Razor and a Crazer, those flip phones. Talk about mean parents, right? And then I wonder why they get beat up at school. <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyway, now they want smartphones, and they think an iPhone 3 is a dinosaur because it doesn't have a front-facing camera so they can FaceTime their friends. Anyway, progress. And it feeds our desire for more. When will enough ever be enough? Maybe you're sitting here today and you've been longing for a new job, for more money, for a new car, a new boat. Or maybe you want a bigger, better house or a younger, better spouse. Don't worry, I'm not going to go all Dr. Seuss on you today. But you know what I'm talking about? More, more, more. When will it be enough? And our society doesn't help. I found these two posters of greed. Greed, because he who dies with the most stuff wins. And that's what our society would want us to believe, isn't it? But I like this one even better. Greed, he who dies with the most toys, still dies. And that's truth, isn't it? This human phenomenon of greed is nothing new. I mean, you think of Alexander the Great. He was only 32 years old when he died, and he had already conquered most of the then-known world. And he, historians tell us that he was never satisfied, always driven for more, always wanting to conquer more. Now look at the words that are on his tombstone. A tomb now suffices him for whom the world was not enough. Ironic words. 
But let's face it, there's something inside of us that's continually driven for more. When will enough ever be enough? Well, today we're going to finish off this series that we've called Literally Taking God at His Word. And two weeks ago, Jason shared with us that the Word of God is knowable because God's desire is to be known. And last week, Brian shared with us that the Word of God is necessary because nobody knows God better than God. And he said that we need the Bible to have our lives transformed into the image of Christ. And by the way, Jason and Brian did a phenomenal job. If you guys have missed one or both of the last two weeks, I encourage you, get online. Not encourage you, I challenge you. Get online and watch those messages or download them and listen to them this week. Today we're going to be looking at this premise, can the Word of God really be enough for us? We're going to be going through many scriptures throughout the Bible, so if you brought your Bible with you, keep it handy. If not, you can follow along on the side screens or you can use our Get Hope app and go to the message notes. And we've also included a link in the message notes today to the book from Kevin DeYoung that's called Taking God at His Word. So if this series has interested you, you want to do a little bit more study of why God's Word is knowable, necessary, and enough, I encourage you to pick up that book. God's Word is enough. The Bible is enough. What does that even mean? Can this one book be enough for our lives? Well, when we say that the Word of God is enough, what we're actually talking about is a belief or a doctrine that we hold. And that doctrine is called the sufficiency of Scripture. And it was established 500 years ago by Martin Luther at the beginning of the Reformation period. He called it sola scriptura, or Scripture alone, Latin for Scripture alone. And the simplest definition of this is the Bible contains all knowledge necessary for salvation and holiness. Now, some of you might start to push back in your minds against me. Yeah, Doug, I know that the Bible contains truth, but there's so many sources of truth out there. And all God's truth, or all truth is God's truth, right? I mean, it's a good book, but it's not all I need. Am I supposed to just sit around every day reading the Bible like an ostrich with my head in the sand? Or when we say Scripture is enough or Scripture alone, does that mean that we stop reading other literature, even Christian books, or we stop coming and listening to Mike's messages and just go around quoting Scripture all day? Alone doesn't mean by itself. Because the Bible is not an exhaustive source of information detailing every subject on the planet. But every subject that the Bible does cover, it speaks only truth. So when we say Scripture alone, what we're saying is, the Bible is our final authority. It's the final word on how we should live our lives. If we are Christ followers, then every thought, every motive, every action must be tested against the Word of God. So the Bible is enough. Let me share with you guys what we as Hope Community Church believe about the Bible, and you can find this on our website. The Bible is God's Word to us. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. Because it is inspired by God, it is the truth without any mixture of error. And one of the supporting scriptures for this is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. So yes, it's enough, because the Bible is God's word to us. It's God's word to us. I mean, go back to the beginning of the book, the first chapter, Genesis 1. 
In the first chapter of the Bible, this short phrase shows up nine different times, and God said. So right from the beginning, it establishes whose word this is. And then in chapter two, God's talking to Adam and Eve, and he says, look, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden except for one. And then chapter three, verse one, enter the serpent. And he asks, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Isn't it amazing that it only takes three chapters of the Bible for us humans to start questioning God? Now, I know it was the serpent who asked that question, but he was sowing seeds of doubt and discontent, and they easily took root. It's as if he was saying to Eve, listen, lady, whatever you desire, take it. Until you have everything, you don't have enough. And the next two times that God speaks to Adam and Eve in this story, he asks two questions. First of all, where are you? Of course, God knew where they were, but he wanted to ask them that to help them understand that they were hiding from him. And then he asks, who told you you were naked? In other words, whose voice are you listening to anyway? Whose voice are you listening to? Before that, it was only Adam and Eve and God. It was just them. They had perfect relationship. There was nothing to hide, nothing to break that relationship, fully content. But then they began to listen to another voice, and that voice quickly took them downhill. And I want to scream out, why? Why'd you do it? You had it all. Free range of everything, living the life, naked and free in a perfect climate-controlled environment. It doesn't get any better than that. And best of all, perfect relationship with their creator. And there was only one thing that God said no to, this one tree in the middle of this majestic orchard. But it was one thing that haunted them, that one unattainable item. So what happens? They eat the fruit, their eyes are open, and suddenly they begin to experience that one thing that they were never meant to experience, separation from God. And that's what happens when we don't believe that the Word of God is enough for us. See, right out of the starting blocks, it's clear that that insatiable desire for something bigger than ourselves, it stems from the vacuum that's created when we don't listen to God and we turn our back on our Creator. But here's the good news today. The Bible is our guidebook back to our Creator. It's our guidebook. That song that the band just sang a few minutes ago, the words pleaded, show me what I'm looking for. Show me, show me the way, and the Bible does. It's our guidebook. Actually, it's a series of guidebooks. 66 books written by over 40 authors from three different continents over a period of 1,500 years, and it's all divinely inspired by God himself through his Holy Spirit. Different authors with different personalities and different writing styles, yet it all tells one unifying story. Let me quickly share with you what you'll find in the Bible. The first five books of the Bible we call the law. And in the law, we find creation, our rebellion, and God's temporary plan to make peace through the law and through the sacrificial system. And then we have this whole series of historical books from Joshua through the book of Job. And in those books, we see centuries of God's people turning their back on him and then humbly returning to him. And it's interesting that most times they come back to God, it was spurred on by something he had said in his word. And then we have the wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. Those are poems and, and songs written to God and about God. And then the Old Testament finishes with this section of prophetic books, 
all the way from Isaiah to Malachi, and the prophets were speaking on behalf of God. At times, they were warning God's people against certain things, but ultimately, they were reminding God's people of his passionate love for them and his desire to live in relationship with them. And then we get to our favorite part, right? The New Testament. And it opens up with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospel means good news. The good news of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then in the middle of the New Testament, we find the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the local church, the birth of the local church, and the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas and others. And then the Bible is finished with this whole section of books that we sometimes refer to as the epistles, which is just a fancy word for the letters from Paul, from Peter, and other writers who more fully describe what this whole gift of salvation is. And they tell us how we should live as Christ followers because of what Christ has done for us. Well, there you have it. Now you don't need to go and read it for yourself. Actually, you do. Because it's an amazing story, and it's a true story of that broken relationship with our Creator and how that can be restored. See, the Bible guides us back because the Word of God is the revelation of who He is and what He desires. The Old Testament reveals God's nature to us, and it also reveals His plans. And it was all pointing to one thing. Everything in this Bible points to Christ, and everything was completed in Christ. Over and over again in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word. He fulfilled over 300, somewhere around 350 Old Testament prophecies. That's amazing. Because Jesus was exactly what all creation had been waiting for, all creation had been longing for. Let's check out John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We've seen this before in this series already. It says, In the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then skip down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. Words becoming flesh. I mean, it's not an easy concept for us to get our heads around, but... When Jesus comes to earth, we now not only have God's revelation through his written word, we now have God's revelation and redemption through his living word, through Jesus, his son. And actually, the point of God's revelation was always to redeem us. It was to rescue us and restore us to that original relationship that we had through him. And how did he do it? Through the finished work of Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection. So the point is this. The Bible is enough because the work of Christ is enough. It stands or falls together. The written word, the revelation of God through his written word and the redemption of God through his living word, Jesus Christ. And if you think of Jesus' final words as he hung on the cross dying for our sins, he said, it is finished. It is finished and indeed it was finished. He had completed with that act of dying for our sins something we could never do. His perfect life that he lived and then dying for us, that completed God's plan of restoration for us. And Christ's completed work has changed my life. It's changed many of your lives. It's changed the lives of billions of people throughout history, and it continues to change lives. But how do we get there? How do we get to that point of a changed life? By trusting, by taking God at his word. 
You have to take him at his word. You have to believe Jesus is who he says he was. I want to share with you one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis from the book Mere Christianity. And he says this, follow along. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg. Love those words. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You have to make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Whew, that's a spicy meatball. I mean, seriously, as much as I love C.S. Lewis, he's my favorite author, and I love that quote, it feels prickly to me. It kind of rubs against my human nature the wrong way. I feel like C.S. Lewis, with, this, with his words, he's backing me into a corner, and my human nature wants to scream out, back off, man. I need to keep my options wide open. But here's the deal. If God is who he said he is, then his word is true. And if his word is true, then his word is enough. The Bible is enough to fill that void in our human hearts, to fill that void that was left when that relationship was broken. God knows better than we know what we need. He created us. We were created by God for God. And like Jason said, God's desire is to be known. It's not a game of hide and seek. Check out Jesus' words in Matthew 7. Verses 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So what are you looking for? What are you seeking for? What are you desiring? You'll find it in his word. Not only do we find salvation in the word of God, we also find peace and tranquility when life gets stormy. We find beauty and contentment when we begin to long for more than we need. We find God's power that's available to us when we're weak. And we find the spirit of God's conviction when we begin to listen to other voices that we shouldn't be listening to. But the real power of God's word is not found in the soulless or in the inspiration or even information in these pages. The real power of God's word, we find it when we act on it. We discover that the Bible is enough when we apply what it says. Now you may be surprised to hear me say this, but reading the Bible, in and of itself, it's not enough. Even understanding the Bible is not enough. That will only bring us knowledge. And the Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but perfect love builds up. And so again, check out Jesus' words in the same chapter, Matthew chapter seven, verses 24 and following. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, 
The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It sounds like one of those poorly built houses on the shores of Cape Hatteras after it's been demolished by a massive hurricane. You've seen pictures of those, right? Shambles. I don't want my life to look like that. I don't want my life to be shambles. I want my life to be built on the solid rock foundation of God's word. When we believe his word and when we act on it, his word comes alive in our life. It's no longer just nice stories or good ideas. His love becomes alive and active in us and through us. This is an amazing book. You know, somewhere between seven and a half and nine billion, with a B, books or Bibles have been printed in the last 200 years. That's over one for every person alive. This is not only the best-selling book of all time, it's still the best-selling book every year. Every minute, almost 50 Bibles are sold around the world. That's almost one every second. Isn't that amazing? And now that we're in the digital age, we have our Bible apps. I use the version, which many of you use. The version app is about to hit 150 million downloads, and that's just in the last few years. And it's now available in over 600 languages. Amazing. Why is this the most popular book of all time? Because in these pages, we find the power to change a life. But as amazing as those stats are, I always wonder how many of those Bibles are still sitting on a shelf, collecting dust, or taking up space in a bedside drawer in a hotel room somewhere. I'll never forget, when I was in Bible college, I was sitting in a chapel service, and our Bible college president was preaching to the student body that day, and he brought out this very large, very old-looking Bible, and he set it on the pulpit. And he said, students, I want you to know that this book has changed my life. And he hit the Bible, and a cloud of dust went into the air that everybody saw. Awkward. (laughs) And then he started to backpedal. He said, well... Actually, to be honest with you, I had to pull this one off my shelf this morning. This is one I used to use years ago because I couldn't find my current Bible anywhere. Don't let that happen to your Bible. Don't let it collect dust. Read it, apply it, and let it change your life. Well, on May 28th, Don and I celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary. Man, time flies. And in case you're wondering, yes, we were of legal age when we got married. But this year, we had an incredible opportunity to celebrate our anniversary and spend a few days in the country of Croatia, in Eastern Europe, on the Adriatic Sea. It's a place that my wife has wanted to visit since actually before we were married, back when it was still a part of Yugoslavia. So we finally got to go. Beautiful country. Incredible history. But on one of those days, we spent the whole day at Plitvica National Park. It's spelled Plitvice if you want to look it up later. And this was one of the first natural world heritage sites named by UNESCO. This place was stunningly beautiful. I mean, I imagine Garden of Eden was something like that. Beautiful. It's a series of lakes, 16 lakes, making their way down a mountainside, each lake connected to the other through this 
series of beautiful waterfalls. It was gorgeous. So at the beginning of the morning, we decided we were going to hike way up to the top and then come back again. As we were hiking up the mountain, up these different series of lakes, we were just completely overwhelmed by hundreds, literally hundreds, maybe thousands of waterfalls, beautiful waterfall vistas. You talk about a photographer's dream. We're not great photographers, but we were snapping hundreds of pictures. Beautiful waterfalls, and we were completely enamored and totally focused on the waterfalls. Then we get to the top lake around the middle of the day. We begin to make our way down in the afternoon, hiking our way down. And all of a sudden, we're seeing things from a different vantage point. We begin to notice the different colors of the water, the beautiful hues of green and, and, and blue in these crystal clear lakes. We begin to notice these natural dams that were formed that prevent all of the water from forming one huge rushing river. We begin to see these interesting birds and fish and other wildlife and the different kind of foliage than we have here and awesome little wildflowers. Look at this beauty. That one we did take with our camera. But we would have never seen that small little wildflower if our eyes had have continued to be focused only on the waterfalls. And see, the Bible is a lot like that. I've been reading the Bible throughout my life, not every day, you know, but many days, reading the Bible, and I'll come across the same passage over and over again, and it, there's times that it seems like God is showing me a new part of the truth in that scripture, revealing to me something I hadn't noticed before, or another character trait of his nature. And it's not that the, the truth in the passage has changed, it's that depending on my circumstances, where I'm at in life, God meets me with his truth right where I am. His word is living. And you know, the more that we read the Bible, the more that we dig into God's word, you'll begin to find chapters and verses that continually resonate with you that become particularly meaningful to you in your life journey and your journey with Christ. We often refer to those as life verses. And I wanted to share a couple of my life verses with you today. First one is found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, we live in maybe the most worried, anxious, even depressed society in the world. And there have been many times that I've given in to worry. I've given in to anxiety, but over the last few years in particular, I've noticed that about myself, that tendency. So I have continually called this scripture to mind and reminded myself, when I begin to get anxious, capture that thought. Capture it and turn it into prayer with thanksgiving and experience the peace of God. Another one of my favorites is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak thing of this world to shame the strong. You know, God has allowed me and my wife and our kids to be a part of some incredible things that he is doing. 
Eight years we spent in Toronto, Canada, in an incredible church as worship pastors. God was doing awesome things in that church. 2005, he called us to go and live in Africa, in Uganda, and to be a part of Watoto Church and Watoto Child Care, where he was doing awesome things. And then two years ago, he called us here to Raleigh, North Carolina, to be a part of Hope Community Church. And let me tell you, God is up to some amazing things in this church. And what a privilege that he has allowed me to be a part of what he's doing here. And trust me, I'm not very impressive, but I've made myself available to an impressive God, to a powerful God. And I'm sure that there's many of you sitting here today that God has been stirring in your heart in the last few weeks or months or maybe even over years asking you to step out in faith and do something big for him. And you've just been making all kinds of excuses. I'm not smart enough. I can't get up in front of people and speak. I, I don't know enough of the Bible. If you will make yourself available, this impressive, powerful God will do incredible things through your life. Those are just a couple of my life verses, and I'm sure that many of you have similar life verses that have become really special to you in your journey. If you do, I encourage you to share those with others. If you'd be willing, even share those with us over social media today, this week. If you've got a Twitter account or Facebook account, just go on there and post the passage reference, like Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and then make sure that you use the hashtag life verse, hashtag hope literally. So is the Bible enough for us? Yes, the Bible is enough because it's God's word to us, because it's our guidebook back to our creator, because the work of Christ is enough, and we discover that the Bible is enough when we apply what it says. Well, you know that we're big on next steps around here, and I want to give you four next steps before you leave, and they're going to sound similar to the last couple weeks intentionally. So number one, read it. Read it. Jason told us to start in the book of John. Last week, Brian said start in the book of Acts. If you've read both of those, then I'm going to encourage you this week, read the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, it's just six chapters and an incredible breadth of material that Paul covers in that small book. So go ahead and read that this week. And if you don't have a Bible, you can get a free Bible today. If you stop by our Next Steps counter, we have some Bibles. We'd love to give you one so you can start reading it. If we run out of Bibles, we'll make sure that we get more. We'll take down your name, name and number, and we'll get you one of those as soon as possible. But don't just read it. Believe it. Are you willing to believe God is who he says he is? Are you willing to take God at his word? Are you willing to trust him? Now, we have this saying, trust is built over time. And it's a true saying, trust is built over time, but trust still begins with a choice. So you may be here today for the first time, or you may be here, you've been here for a while, and you're still kind of checking out this whole God thing, this whole Christianity thing, and you haven't made a conscious decision yet to become a follower of Christ. Maybe today is your day, but maybe you don't even know how to do that. Well, Paul tells us in Romans 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Sometimes we just make it too hard. So read it, believe it, apply it. Do what it says and watch it change your life. And finally, share it. Share what you've been reading. Share what you've been learning with your family, your friends, your small group this week. Share some of the exciting things, things you never saw in the Bible or maybe like me, one of those new truths that just kind of popped out at you. Share that. Well, our hope in this short series, literally, has been that we would see that the Bible is not too lofty. It's not unattainable for us. We can know it. 
that it needs to become a necessary and a regular part of our lives because ultimately the Bible, the Word of God is enough for us to understand who He is and what He's done for us. And we trust that you will read the Bible and really learn to fall in love with God's Word. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing to us through your written word who you are and what your plans were. And we thank you for redeeming us, for rescuing us through your living word, Jesus Christ, and through that undeserved sacrifice that he paid for our sins. God, I pray today that you will allow your word to come alive in our lives and our circumstances, and we will begin to experience the power of your word on a daily basis. I pray, God, that you will give us the grace to trust you, to follow you, and to live our lives in an honoring way that attracts other people to you. We pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 